We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Worldwide Fantasy Football Podcast, the Wednesday edition of the Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Joe Bartle, host moderator uh, extraordinaire, and joined alongside me is my buddy John. John, hey, how you doing? How you doing, bud? I am. Uh, I'm enjoying my Wednesday. It's a little bit cloudy out, but uh, you know we got a good weekend coming up here. I got some friends coming into town. Uh, I'm all relaxed and uh, recovered from last week's Vegas trip, so I'm feeling pretty good. How about yourself? Vegas. You talking about Vegas? Oh, yeah, we're talking about Vegas. Too. Vegas, yeah, I'm doing pretty Vegas, well. Vegas, baby. Vegas was awesome. It was my first time there, um, well, with, I guess, not being a 10-year-old kid, so <laughs> got to have a lot more fun, right. um, and I really had a great time just hanging out with the RotoWire guys, but more importantly, I had a blast doing the RotoWire Fantasy Football Draft as a staff. I know you got to be a part of the big boy group, mm-hmm. and not to say I wasn't a part of the big boy group, but... The lesser of you know, the, big the, boys. the numbers kind of you know dictated <laughs> you know some kind of last minute change. Uh, you would have been you know in that in that table. We just had to even things out, unfortunately. But I, I had the number four overall pick, and then I got sent over. Oof. And the four was the four pick was still available in the other league, 
And I'm like, well, hey, it's only fair. And they're like, no, no, no. You're going to go take the 10th pick. <sighs> that is, I mean, did that mess with your head at all? I was I was off my game the whole time. I was like, I was so prepared for this fourth pick. I was ready to go. I knew how I was going to line up. And then uh, I, was, I was all over the place. I think it came out fine. I'm happy with my roster. Um, I know we're going to go over that real quick. So do you want to break down yours first? Because I think the industry draft, that's kind of which one when you were in, yep. was, was really telling for a few parts for you. And I know that we were looking over it afterwards, and it was interesting. So I wanted to get your take on that. You know, uh, it's one of those things where – no one is 100% prepared, and a lot of the time uh, I, feel, I felt like the competition in the room uh, was heavily reliant on the cheat sheet that was available to them in the <laughs> NFL Rotowire magazine. So, you know, a lot of times you'd get these picks, and I, I would try to kind of stay away from it to an extent. I mean, I would, I would go to that list to refresh myself on names that I wanted to target, but in general I kind of went my own way with it, see how it would go. Um, I had the third pick overall. Went with Antonio Brown. This is a non-PPR league, but I just think he's just absolutely worth uh, that that number three spot. You can probably fight me on my second pick, Golden Tate. Uh, after that, uh, C.J. Anderson, John Brown, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Jonathan Stewart, and C.J. Procise. I would say that's like my core group of picks, uh, and I feel very uh, strong about that core. Uh, how did things shake out for you? Well, let's just break it down for the uh, the viewers, listeners, whatever you want to call yourselves. Uh, <laughs> what the what actually was the roster? So it's one quarterback two running backs, three receivers, tight end, defense, kicker. So that was your starting group. Point-wise, it was it was basically standard scoring. There was no PPR. Right. Quarterbacks throwing touchdowns was three points, but everything else, standard scoring. It might have been one point for 20 passing yards, but like a, un, unless that's standard. I've done a lot of 25 yards, but I mean, other than You're that. right, you're right. I mean, it might, that's pretty close, but I'm going to you know call it wish-wash, not sure. a big deal. I think the out of those picks that you mentioned there, the one I'm most – maybe concerned about as a fan of the Packers uh, and as a fan of your fantasy team, be Golden Tate in the second round. So mm-hmm. Golden Tate in the not-so-industry league, that's what I'm going to call this, went to the fourth round, and that's probably where I'd have liked to see him more. Why did you take Golden Tate in the second round? Uh, let's see. I had a lot of drinks. N- no. <laughs> I, um, I, I just I loved his production last year, and I think uh, I think Calvin Johnson being gone uh, makes him the alpha. And I know that he's never been truly the alpha uh, before within his own offense so this will be kind of a a new experience for him and you know Stafford's gonna have to be comfortable with him I don't know I don't think his like route tree will change per se or anything but I think that he's gonna be getting even more targets but at the same time you worry about you know the attention that Calvin was dragging away from him so I could see I could see the bust potential within that pick but at the same time I, I figured you know, it was worth the risk because I really love the upside. I, I think he's kind of entering the prime of his career. He's coming off an amazing past couple seasons, so I, I'm pretty excited about the pick overall, actually. Well, Golden Tate was the beneficiary of the Phil Mary, or the Golden Mistake is how I like to call it, so I automatically hate the man <laughs> sure. with all my being. Uh, that being said, I definitely see what you're talking about. The Lions' potential, like they were one of the top five, top ten passing offenses. I'm just guessing right now, but it felt like it for the last uh, 15 years. I mean, like Stafford just chucks the ball, and he's got exactly. a mega arm. That being said, I felt like the default play was like a Madden Hail Mary to uh, Kelvin Johnson, and he would come down with it like 70% of the time. I don't think Golden Tate can do that unless he's playing against the Packers on Monday night with horrible officials. <laughs> and, and wearing a Seahawks uniform. Right. Yeah. So that's my concern with, I, I liked Golden Tate and I thought, you know, he's going to pre- present some value, especially in PPR leagues, but 
if we're expecting him to put up Kelvin Johnson numbers, I know you're not, but if you're taking him back in the second round, you're expecting him to put up those kind of numbers, and that concerns me because I don't think he can do it. Okay, you know, this, this is going to be one of those things where I think if, if it was a PPR, I'd, I'd be looking a lot smarter uh, from this pick, uh, but I still think he's going to challenge for, you know, somewhere near triple digits as far as catches are concerned, and I think with that, he's going to, he's going to be one of the more higher yardage uh, receivers, and, you know, we'll see where the touchdowns come from, but within that offense, I, I don't know that any one guy other than Tate that I can see, like, being a huge uh, like touchdown taker away, especially like in, in the receiving game. Well, see, that's the thing. I just think they're not going to score that many touchdowns. But here, well, <laughs> I mean, that's just as a Packer fan, I'm hoping lines. N- nope, don't score. Um, yeah. Who are the people that were taken after that Golden Tate pick? Because I was back into the second round, and that kind of felt like a dead zone for me, even in our draft, where it's like, geez, I don't know what you're going to do necessarily. So I'm curious to know who was taken around that area. Like, who did you miss out on somebody that you really want? And Golden Tate was a second option. I actually, I actually kind of did. Uh, the two receivers uh, that went right before me um, that, that bummed me out was Amari Cooper. Uh, I know some people have issues with his drop rate and all this and that, but. That's neither here nor there for right now. I, I, I think Amari Cooper would have been a good pick right there. And then uh, Sammy Watkins, a guy that I have yet to really have a true share of. And uh, he's a guy that is a little bit polarizing in his own right. But I, I think he I probably would have gone with him there. And then uh, I, I picked uh, Golden Tate over Demarius Thomas, for instance. Okay. He and is the next pick. Demarius is a talking, talking point for a little down the road because we're covering NFC West and AFC West for this version of the Wednesday podcast. Um, I... That's like both of those are defensible. I've had shares of Sammy, so I can tell you right now that I did not want shares of Sammy this go around. Yeah. The broken foot thing kind of is a big deal for me. Tyrod mm-hmm. Taylor is kind of a big deal for me. So I didn't really want to touch that, but those have been more uh, defensible picks at the back end of the second round for you. I don't know how the, the industry draft was for receivers, but the not so industry draft was pretty heavy on receivers to start in the top half. Like we had Antonio go number two. Uh, Julio Jones go number four and Des Bryant go number five and then Odell somehow slipped to seven you gotta walk me through how that happened but that's a different time so like we had receivers high in the first round and Rob as well which meant that we had running backs in the back half of the draft that's where when I was picking number 10 I was able to grab David Johnson um, and I followed that back up with Keenan Allen as my second round pick and I, I really feel like that's a good pair. Um, I love Keenan Allen as the Chargers beat writer. I almost feel like I have to. Sure. But that man was amazing before his blown out kidney thing. That was an intense injury. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's still scary to me, like for long term stuff, but everything seems to be coming out that he's fine. He's excited to play. I mean, we know Phillips going to throw. We know right. Phillips going to throw everywhere, and he's going to throw it to Keenan. So. I thought, why not? Let's go ahead and take him. I followed that up with a Thomas Rawls selection. And then looking at how everything was playing out, I was like, why not we go back to the well with the running backs? And I came in with Jeremy Langford. I have a feeling, and this is just intuition at this point, because we really haven't done that many. I'm going to have a lot of shares of Thomas Rawls and Jeremy Langford uh, in most of these fantasy drafts. How do you feel about those guys coming in? Uh, with with Rawls, I mean, he was a guy that looked like such a such a boss uh, once he kind of took over the job from Marshawn last year, and then obviously uh, his ankle injury against the Ravens was one of the rougher looking injuries of the entire last season. And with that, I am a little bit concerned, and I think that the Seahawks uh, tipped their hand at some concern. We'll get into this more later uh, with how they, they how they themselves drafted. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I like Langford a lot. Uh, I'm I'm the Big Ten beat writer for for Rotowire so so I'm a big fan of his you know from his Michigan State days Uh, I thought he performed pretty ably last year uh, and now that Forte's gone 
Uh, I don't really see the guys behind him as major threats, at least right off the bat. I don't think Kadeem carries a threat whatsoever, and then I don't think that Jordan Howard's quite ready yet, and he, he's a bit of a different back. Uh, you might worry about losing some goal line carries to him down the line, but I'd say in general, Langford's a very strong pick. So I actually took Howard later on just as kind of to cuff it. Um, sure. My strategy was let's grab as many of the best running backs as we can because I think there's only about 25, if that, that I right. would actually want on my team. So I just uh, handcuffed him with Howard, and I was thinking, okay, I can find receivers later on. That's one thing as the keeper and dynasty expert here that, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm the expert. Mario is, Mario is the true expert here, Mario Puig, if anyone doesn't know who he is. Um, yeah, you're, pre- you're pretty knowledgeable yourself, though. I try to be, but I, I can never match Mario. Uh, but I, Knowing that there's a few receivers that I liked later on, I thought, okay, let's get the running backs now, and I can shore up the receivers later. So I grabbed Jarvis Landry after that. Now, you guys are probably going to think that I thought this was a PPR draft. Um, John joked about the alcohol. That might have been an influence with how this uh, PPR draft. They did roll in like out. a two like crates of beer like <laughs> while we were doing. It. It's like all right, well I guess it's gonna be like that. Huh? It was kind of like if you would picture a dream scenario where you're just broing out. <laughs> yep. You're doing a fantasy draft and in then just suite. endless alcohol and a sweet. Yeah, that, I mean that really was what happened. And I re- I came away liking my draft even after everything passed over. Um, but I I went back to the well then with my best available selection by going two tight ends after that Ladarius green who I cannot get enough of and Tyler Eifert how did you feel uh I know we weren't in the same draft but would you have laughed at the double tight end pick or would you been like hey that guy no I I don't think that's a laughable strategy at all I'm actually kicking myself I think the only real weakness on my team it was was waiting for tight end and because I was at kind of an extreme end of the board uh once a tight end run starts and it's like at the end of the round that I picked third in I'm not going to get a chance to get a tight end. So, I mean, as many as five or six are coming off in like a 10-pick stretch. So that kind of killed me. I ended up with Antonio Gates, uh, and I don't even know how I felt about it's that It's nice pick. to have 45-year-olds on your team. If nothing else, you bring a veteran leadership. Yeah, he's definitely going to bring the locker room together. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how it, how it really pans out on the field. But I think being aggressive in tight ends when – there is sort of, like you mentioned with running backs, it's a bit shallower than we're used to seeing. I wouldn't say that tight you end... You think tight end is shallow? I'm not saying that, but I think getting as much of the share of, of uh, the guys that people want, you know, if you if you end up having a hole on your team, uh, you can trade Eifert, who has that amazing red zone potential, mm-hmm. or uh, Ladarius Green, who I think has like so much upside. I loved him on the Chargers. I think a lot of people are drooling about what he can do in that Steelers offense, especially with uh, Martavis Brown. Bryant, you know, he's gone and Heath Miller is just a different, very different type of tight end. So green can almost be like a, like a Dennis Pitta work out of the work close to the line in the slot type of receiver. And I think that can really pay off as well. So I think it was a good idea to go a little bit heavy on the tight ends. I don't think it's as crazy as you might've thought it was. In the not so industry draft. um, One of the biggest takeaways that I took away. Wow. Keep saying that over biggest takeaways, takeaway. Uh, (laughs) was that tight end is really deep this year. And I, it hasn't been before. Like, I've always felt I need to get an upper echelon tight end. Maybe not the Gronks, but mm-hmm. I need to get an upper echelon tight end. And that's not the case this year. Like, the uh, Ladarius Green, we're gonna, the Green, let's call him that, uh, fell to the sixth round for me, and then I got Eifert in the seventh. But, I mean, we were seeing Kobe Fleener come off around that range. There are still some more people. I really like Zach Miller, and he was like a 12th-round pick for the Bears tight end. Mm-hmm. I, there's there's depth to the tight end position that there hasn't been before. We always talk about quarterback being a really good deep position. You don't want to take early. I'm not going to knock somebody who feels comfortable grabbing a tight end, or I'm sorry, grabbing a quarterback really high up, like mm-hmm. it's a security thing. 
But for tight end, I just I don't find it a good idea to draft Gronk so high because I know there's so many options later on that I love just as much. Yeah, and uh, you know it, it's really never a given that Gronk's going to be healthy for an entire season. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, you know, last year that that Denver game, I mean, that knee injury looked a lot worse oh, yeah. than, than, than what it turned out to be. But I mean, it was still you know it's something that you almost. I don't want to say like you expect him to just get hurt. That's a that's a morbid way of looking at it. But he, it's always he on your carries, mind. He carries a higher injury risk. It's always on your mind. You can't you can't not think about. It. I love Gronk just as much as the next person besides a Patriots fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just think that you have to be concerned about. It. And there's not to say that Ladarius and Eifert, who I ended up with, don't have injury concerns of their own. Sure. It's just that if you're taking Gronk, you have to do it late first round, beginning second round, and that you are depending on that man. And he's been great. But if he falls down, oh my, you're out of luck with receiver, most likely out of luck with running back. You're going to have to really put a patchwork roster together. And that's what concerns me most when I'll just take a tight end later. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it where, you know, you you are far and away getting the number one player at, at his given position, but your roster really does collapse after that if if Gronk doesn't pan out, if he if he goes down in week three, week four, something like that, you're sunk. All right, enough about our drafts now. Let's move over to the AFC West-NFC West combo that we're looking at. We'll start with the Super Bowl champions, Denver Broncos. They had an interesting offseason. They lost Peyton Manning. They lost the man, the one and only Brock Osselwire. Going to miss him. They paid a lot for Von Miller. And for fantasy purposes, I'm a little concerned. I mean, I don't know what... The combination of Mark Sanchez and uh, Trevor Simeon is going to do for uh, quarterback and receiver combos, but it can't be good, right? No, I don't think that that's, that's a great look at all. I mean, uh, Simeon's a guy that uh, it shocked me that he was even drafted, to, to be completely honest with you. I mean, he was one of the worst quarterbacks in, in the Big Ten and re- really the country his, his last year. So, But, you know, John Elway knows a little bit more about quarterback play than I do, so he, he ended up taking Simeon in the seventh round. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but um, and then you know Sanchez. Sanchez, you you pretty much know what you're going to get with him, and uh, it's not very exciting. Uh, and what's disappointing about it is is that amazing group of skill players with you know your Demarius Thomas, your uh, Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, how much does this quarterback situation concern you? Well, to me, it's a big deal. I, I mean, last year at this time, Demarius Thomas was falling right around the second round, third round, and average draft position. If we're going by a 10-team league now, looking at ESPN's ADP, he's third, mid-fourth, or like mid-third, round fourth for Demarius Thomas. And Sanders is even farther down. He's like mid-sixth, seventh. And I wouldn't take either of those at that, at that spot. I just think that there isn't a lot of upside with either one of those when those two quarterbacks are playing. Now, we were talking before we got on, and the guy they took uh, for their first-round pick, Paxton Lynch, we both think he's going to be playing at some point this season. But I don't want to wait until then for that potential to happen. And it could be like Mariota last year where they didn't really let him throw the ball until halfway through the season. And I'm afraid if Paxton were to play, because he's the best quarterback out of those three, sure. if Paxton were to play, it might be similar where you're just like letting the reins, holding him down so he can't actually throw the ball to those big targets. I mean, it would to me, it would look like a worse version of Osweiler, basically, because you, you're talking about a guy with a similar frame uh, with no real uh actual game experience uh lynch is a guy that you know you're talking about Mariota last year very polished guy very 
poised, uh, definitely worth the second overall pick. Lynch was a guy that I could have seen go and fall into the third round. Oh. Um, he's he's going to have a, himself a learning curve just based on that system that, that uh, they ran at Memphis. Uh, he's really going to have to buckle down to learn the you know, more pro-style uh, Gary Kubiak offense. So, uh, I mean, even when he does come in, I don't think that it's going to provide a ton of uh, – it's not going to be like one of these things where where the Broncos were at groundswell. The only thing holding them back was was Sanchez or Simeon, and then all of a sudden Paxton Lynch comes in and bam, like the they're the Denver Broncos offense of 2013. I just don't really see that happening. I, I don't really rely on rookie quarterbacks. I mean, even even like the really special ones, and I'm not sure that Paxton Lynch is that kind of special quarterback. Uh, you know. When he does come into play this year, because we both agree that he will, I just don't hold a ton of up or optimism uh, for what he'll be able to do once he gets on the field. Uh, so, you know, you're getting limited weeks out of him, and they're probably not going to be all that great. Like, I love the Broncos' defense, and the Broncos themselves are probably going to win a lot of games. But for fantasy purposes, I'm not sure I want to touch either of them. I mean, look at the other person who I think they will be relying on in the offense is C.J. Anderson. Yep, He's being taken in the fourth round in these ESPN average draft position. That's what we're looking at. And I'm not, I mean, I had a few shares of him last year when he was supposed to be this godsend, like major, maybe number one overall pick kind of thing. Right. That didn't turn out. <laughs> um, so fourth round's a little more optimistic, but here are some guys listed after him. DeMarco Murray, Latavius Murray, Jonathan Stewart, Jeremy Hill, Jeremy Langford, Matt Jones, Ryan Matthews, all below CJ being taken right now. And I would have every single one of those guys before CJ Anderson. Really, even when even considering the fact that you that you know the Broncos might have to rely a little bit heavier on the run game, that's exactly why I don't want him. I'm afraid that they're going to stop him. I don't think C.J. Anderson is anything special. I think he could work well in the passing game, but I just don't. I'm not touching him when it, when I know people are going to be focusing on him. That's my concern. I got to push back on a couple of them at least. I mean, I, I see what you're saying about Stewart. Uh, you know, you like the line that he runs behind. That's an awesome offense for him. As long as the health is really the only concern that I have with him. Jeremy Hill, uh, some people are very high on uh, Gio Bernard having having a bounce back here. I know Jeff Erickson, uh, one of our partners, uh, he's he's huge on Gio this year. Well, but, Bernard didn't really struggle either last year. So that's right, not just, to, I like Gio, but I'm just <laughs> saying I would rather have Hill over Anderson. Fair enough. And then... Uh, Matt Matt Jones really? Yeah. <laughs> who else is getting the ball in the Redskins? Very good question. Who, who? I mean, I'm not. I I'm not touching anyone else in there. I think Matt Jones by default is going to get more opportunities, and he also does ways in the pass catching area. So I to me, I'm absolutely taking him over Anderson. Maybe that's just the Georgia fan in me giving some Florida hate going that's fine. on. But uh, <laughs> and then Ryan Matthews, you know, now that now that. Uh, DeMarco Murray's gone from from the Eagles you know I I could see what you're saying there but I don't know I think Anderson just by volume alone I think he'll be able to pay dividends Uh, I was comfortable getting him uh, with my third pick I forget which pick overall it was but it probably correlates to the fourth round in in the standard 10 team ADP Um, I I just feel good about it overall with with the way that their line plays that that blocking scheme and just the fact that you, you know I understand what you mean about defense is stacking the box against them and you hope that maybe Thomas and and uh Sanders will be able to distract from that but I think in the end Anderson gets the volume to where he pays it off for me see my only concern is that they also have guys I mean it's not my only concern but I have a bunch of (laughs) apparently but they also have guys behind like Ronnie Hillman they signed back to a deal when they probably could have let him leave in free agency they drafted Devontae Booker who I know you were really high on coming into this because I've read plenty of your articles Mm -hmm. to me it's like 
how how is Anderson ever going to repay that kind of value when you have those people behind him stacking the box? And oh, by the way, they don't have anyone that can throw the ball to even stretch the field. Uh, you're put. I know you're putting me in the box here, but uh, you know Booker Booker has his own physical limitations, and he's going to have to. You know, he's coming off that knee injury that that uh, might might have been or might have had a longer healing process than than what was expected. Uh, he's a little bit older. Uh, for a rookie that, than most, but I think that honestly gives him a bit of an advantage as a rookie. So I could see where he sees the field a little bit earlier on than than you might expect. But I think Anderson uh, just is the is the best all around of the three. Obviously, you know that's that's not groundbreaking. Like you know, that's why Anderson's getting picked in the fourth round, and these other guys are falling off. But I, I don't have a ton of faith in Hillman, and I I have trouble seeing Booker like truly usurping Anderson in any sort of meaningful way uh at least immediately and if they if they really do go with the super run heavy offense I still feel like Anderson uh is the uh is still getting like two-thirds or or more so of the of the carries there I I think we're gonna end up talking about Booker a lot as we go through this podcast you know as a keeper dynasty aspect something that we really kind of target to have for a deeper round later on kind of thing but for now we'll move past it we'll go to the Chiefs they're never really huge players in free agency. They signed uh, Jeremy Macklin last year, but they haven't really done that much. So I'll present this question to you because I was thinking about it before and how much I just don't like the Chiefs, Chiefs like offense. How many of them are you going to be owning in fantasy football this year? I think there's only three that you'd even want to touch. Yeah, pr- pretty much, you know, your Charles, uh, Travis Kelsey, and Jeremy Macklin, those are kind of your standards. I like Chris Conley as a potential late round, fl- like super late round flyer in a really deep, PPR type format. I don't know how many of those people are going to be playing in. I don't know how of those I'm going to be playing in, but I mean, I mean, also I am a Georgia guy. I do love Chris Conley, but, <laughs> but I don't know. There's just not a whole lot. There's just no like sex appeal to this offense. You're like, you know what you're going to get, you know, who's going to be decent, uh, who's going to be able to perform with Andy Reid as the coach. But you also know that Alex Smith is the quarterback. So there, there's like a, a bit of a cap on pretty much everything except, you know, Presuming Charles is healthy, uh, he's he's far and away, you know, the best of those options. Would you take Charles in the first round? You know what? I'm not sure that I am. I'm not sure okay. that I'm going to. I I just think you know, two ACLs, and you know, I feel like having the the ACLs being different legs is almost better than than no, like even two same one. <laughs> you know, so he's got like two you know, superhuman ACLs now. So that's a competitive advantage, I suppose. But I, I feel like that based on who's who else is going in the first round, I'm probably just not really going to go after Charles especially. And I understand maybe if he falls – what's his ADP right now? Like, uh, it's mid-second round. Okay. All right, second round. Second round, I could, I could justify it a little bit more. But first round, I mean, do you think you're going to? Yeah, so – it depends if, and I'm assuming that it's breaking out how all the other drafts that I've taken part of breaking out where receivers are going first. You see a lot of those top heavy guys just get taken right away. The Browns, the Odell's, maybe even a Gronk slips in there, mm-hmm. and you're left looking at, do I want Adrian Peterson? Do I want Jamal Charles? Um, I, and I like both of those for a back end of the first round kind of thing. So yeah, I would I would consider taking Jamal first, but it depends on what receivers are left. True. My strategy in the back end of the first round is get the best players available. And if Jamal is part of that, and I like him, I, I would take him there. And I'm not too concerned about the knee injuries. I'm a little concerned that they sign both Spencer Ware and Charkandrick West back on identical two-year deals, which is kind of strange. Um, <laughs> best friends. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, I, I think that Charles is, is the far and away best player. And he really is their lone offense. Like Alex Smith can only do so much. He mm-hmm. can throw 10 yards. 
And that's about it. I'm pretty sure that like there's like a sensor in the ball. that doesn't let him go any farther than that. I, I don't know. He's being taken in the 13th round and I would not have, I mean, he's, he's undraftable in my mind in like a standard league, Alex mm-hmm. Smith. So Jamal's the only option and I'm, I would take him back in the first round for sure. Okay, see what you're saying. I, I'm leaning more towards second, but I definitely like your best player available strategy. Uh, for t- I would take Char- would I take Charles over AP? Nah, I'm probably going AP there, but uh, yeah, me I too. See, I see what you're saying with Charles though, and he offers the pass catching upside. And the and the I think you know when he's healthy, he's one of the best big play threats that you can have. And obviously, that's not something that you hang your hat on per se. But at the same time, it. I mean, we're playing fantasy football. You want to see the big plays, and yeah, know, this is pretty exciting. Well, this might be a better question to present to you. Would you rather take Charles or AJ Green in a non PPR league? Hmm. Man, well, now that Sanu is gone, and who else did they lose? Uh, the the Bengals. Well, that they didn't really. I mean, they lost Eifert technically for at least two weeks, is what we're thinking. Uh, Sanu is gone. They lost Marvin Jones. Yep. So yeah, I'm probably going AJ Green because uh, the guys that they brought in around him, I think uh, Brandon LaFell uh, and Tyler, Tyler Boyd. Boyd. I love Tyler Boyd. Uh, we can talk about Boyd? that. Okay. I love Tyler Boyd. Um, we're not AFC North, so we can't we can't we can't touch that. But <laughs> I like Tyler Boyd a lot. I I would take Charles over AJ Green in a non PPR league. I don't know how much traction he's going to get in the red zone, and that's what you're looking for in AJ Green because he's not going to be a guy that jukes around and gets a hundred yards every time except against the Ravens. Yeah, um, he, do, he does tend to do that. He's <laughs> blood and guts. It's ridiculous. So I, I would take Charles over Green, and I wouldn't really think about it, honestly. Fair enough. Okay, going to the Raiders. They were huge, huge players in free agency, but maybe not so much for fantasy purposes. So they signed Bruce Irvin, Reggie Nelson, Sean Smith, an offensive guard that I am not going to try and say right now, but I know who he is, and he got a lot of big money. Kalechi Assembly? That's it. Yeah, I knew you'd know it, Ravens boy. Yeah, that, that hurt. <laughs> Irvin, four years, thirty-seven million. Nelson, two years, eight point five million. Sean Smith, oh, just a four-year, forty million dollar contract. And then they drafted Carl Joseph, who was a pretty standout safety in the mid of the first round. So yep. they really invest a lot in their defense. I think it's a smart idea because they have young up-and-comers. We talked about Amari Cooper, who you wanted to grab. Derek Carr is great. Here's another young up-and-comer that no one's talking about. Latavius Murray. He's in the average fifth, sixth round uh, for the ESPN stuff. Why isn't he going higher? I think, you know, it was one of those things where where people got burned on him. I think a lot of people on their, you know, coming into their drafts were like, Latavius is like my my like secret weapon I'm going to go to. You know, I'm going to I'm going to steal him. He's going to be my steal of the draft. And it just didn't really pan out that way. Uh, Production wise, uh, I just don't think that he had that great of a year. And, you know, now we're in a situation where they drafted DeAndre Washington. And DeAndre Washington's a guy that, you know, he's not going to come in right away and, and like super challenge him for carries, but he, he's a, he's a great compliment for the shortcomings of Latavius Murray. Like, Murray's such a big guy. Uh, he's it, to where it, it doesn't make him like easy to tackle, but he's so upright that, you know, it, it does happen and he has trouble kind of attaining his max speed. So when you get a guy like DeAndre Washington in there, I think he's like the perfect compliment uh as sort of like a shifty i mean he's only 58 204 uh so he's a really solidly built smaller guy that can catch the ball uh and he's incredibly strong uh he he uh at the combine he finished in the 81st percentile among running backs for, for bench reps and then uh, he was in the 71st percentile uh for the 40 i mean he's just like the, this kind of burst of speed uh it's hard to, it's hard to give him like a great comparison uh but i think he's a guy that can take away from from what murray ends up doing this year 
So I'll defer to your knowledge mostly when it comes to college football. You just watch a ton of it. You're great with the analysis. You give a lot of really good opinions on some of the players. So if you say DeAndre Washington's a player, I'm going to respect that. But I'm looking at the numbers right now, and Latavius Murray was only a handful of was only one of a handful of running backs who actually got over a thousand yards rushing last year, and he did in only 266 carries. Uh, factor that in with 41 catches for 232 yards like that's a good season for a running back and you're getting one that really isn't going to be challenged at least for carries from what you're saying right um out of the backfield in a dynamic offense he only had six touchdowns rushing and i think that's where the value is lost a little bit Mm -hmm. if he had 10 this guy's going in the mid-second round now that's it that's a good way of looking at it but but at the same time you know those catch numbers are going to come down uh i think uh that that offense is more predicated on passing than running uh I think you could say that for for several offenses, but in th- in this case, uh, Murray just doesn't seem like he has all these traits of being a bell cow guy. It just doesn't seem like he quite gets there for me. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what it is, and then you know factor in uh, Washington being there. Uh, so with all that fifth or sixth round, I guess I'd feel okay with getting him if I can circle back and get Washington later on. But I, I'm not sure I feel great about. It. I mean, who who are some guys? if you know, uh, that are getting drafted around Latavius. Well, we had went through that earlier with C.J. Anderson um, because he was one of those people that was taking taken below him. That's um, right. So I, you're still looking at like the DeMarco Murrays, the uh, Jeremy Langfords, the Matt Jones, Jonathan Stewart. Among those groups, I, I, I would still consider Latavius there. It depends on how my roster is set up, like if I'm wanting to get a receiver or not. But to me, I, I think that Latavius is a great pick to have. Um, he, he's not going to be flashy like he was last year, but... To say that he's not um, going to be productive is just wrong in my mind. And we also need to factor in, I had to make sure to look this up, this is his contract year. Ooh. And we all know contract year players do very, very well. And I, I don't think the Raiders necessarily pay him because they put so much money into the to the defense that mm-hmm. maybe he has to play for a big contract from somebody else. That's true. And then you also look at, I think that line's actually uh, going to be really, really good this year. I think Osemele is a huge addition uh i know as a ravens fan watching him for four years he's just an absolute mauler uh he's gonna uh just road grade guys uh for whoever's carrying the ball so uh murray won't be uh lacking lanes to run through you were asking average draft position where he fits in Deion lewis is in the fifth round demarco murray in the fifth round latavius murray in the fifth round jai uh, Langford, Ryan Matthews, Jones, all sixth round. So that's who you're kind of comparing him with. I think L- Murray is the cutoff, like right around there where you're like, I'm not touching these guys until way, 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 way later. Mm-hmm. Um, but he should still be in that conversation. And honestly, I think he could be a little higher. Okay. Uh, so we got the Chargers last but not least for the AFC West. Sad case of Benjamin Button I, is what I put, but I meant to say <laughs> Melvin Gordon. That guy was like my steal last year. I, I know he was te- going to be taken really high, but I loved him coming in as a Wisconsin guy. Sure. Um, I, I thought he was going to be great. I saw what he did to LSU uh, in their first game of two years ago, whatever it is, and, yep. and he was a tank. I thought, okay, great. Not so much the case last year. He got plenty of carries, plenty of touches, um, didn't score a single touchdown. I think he set the record for most touches without a touchdown. Which, uh, that, like, to me... That hurts. Statistically, that's not going to happen again. He is going to score a touchdown. He's going to score more than one, most likely. But he's being taken in the eighth round right now, and after a microfracture knee surgery that he had during the offseason, mm-hmm. I don't blame people for taking him late. He's one of those guys that's still going to get touches because they invested such a high first-round pick in him. But he scares me, and I love him. He's on my dynasty team. And I don't know what to do. Well, what if he gets off to a slow start? And I, I know you. Un- I understand where you're coming from with the investment 
aspect. But if he's if he becomes like this non-playable entity, and you know you're getting a guy like Danny Woodhead again, who I would like to get your opinion on his his draft stock after this, or or a, maybe even like a Brandon Oliver. I know uh, our guy Jerry Donabedian's very uh, smitten by Brandon Oliver for for whatever reason, but uh, you know with Gordon, he is gonna he's the best traditional back that they have. Uh, they definitely have like obvious pass catching backs and they're going to be throwing it a lot so Gordon Gordon is going to be that guy that's that's getting the load of the carries I just don't think that that offense is is like the most uh fruitful fantasy one as far as uh plucking your running backs in terms of if you're just looking at rushing yards like a non-PPR type deal well it's fruitful for one person that's Danny Woodhead I mean you were asking my opinion I loved him last year Mm -hmm. at one point I was doing a podcast with uh Rotowire's own Mike Doria and we were talking Danny Woodhead and I gave a kind of like a Matthew Berry like player a player b situation and it was who had the most receiving yards? And I compared Randall Cobb with Danny Woodhead. And Woodhead had more receiving yards, oh, receptions, man. and touchdowns than Cobb. This guy is an amazing player. He sprained his ankle earlier in mini camps. It didn't seem to be serious. Uh, he's being taken in the eighth rounds, too. And honestly, as long as you don't have Melvin Gordon on your team, having Danny Woodhead is a safe, solid option. For me, when I'm constructing a roster, I'm trying to put together a certain amount of points from a position. And Danny's going to give you at least 8 to 10, even in, not in PPR league. Like The re- amount of receiving yards he gets, the little bit of rushing yards, he's going to get you right around there as a flex, as maybe a back-end two kind of guy. He's someone you can definitely grab and... Uh, just insert if you need to in a bye week or injury kind of thing. I I love Danny Woodhead and I love him even much this year. I think someone brought up a, an interesting point on, on Twitter the other day where the the great thing about Woodhead in years past is basically he's your flyer and like it seemed to work out every single time. Now after last season he had an awesome year. He's not like a free like a free money type of deal. Mm-hmm. Like you have to invest an eighth round pick and you still feel comfortable with that. Yeah, I, well, I think I would if, depending on how my roster is constructed, like if I'm needing a little bit of a dependable running back, like if I had taken some options like the Matt Jones that you're talking about, if mm-hmm. I had went JHI before they signed Arian Foster, I would have loved to back up with a Danny Woodhead to say, okay, you know, I know I can put this guy in if one of these two flubs. Right. I know I can depend on Woodhead. I know Philip loves him probably too much, if I'm being <laughs> honest, uh, that it'll work. And despite Melvin Gordon, they're melvin gordon being there despite brandon oliver doing oliver things i know i can count on danny woodhead to get, at least get me five eight ten points without a touchdown yeah i could see i could see him yeah being able to rack up that that sort of yards and, and if that's what you're targeting that's what you need out of that given position then yeah i think woodhead is is able to get you there chargers took joey bosa with the number three overall pick is and he's still not signed no he's still not signed yet he was signing being autographs a real diva He's signing autographs, but he did not sign the contract that Uh-oh. says, hey, I'm playing for the Chargers. <laughs> and they took Hunter Henry in the second round after they traded back with uh, the Jags and Miles Jack, mm-hmm. which I'm sad about. Okay, fine. Um, we'll probably go over those more as we talk a little bit more Dynasty Keeper in later in the year. One guy I wanted to hit with you really quick before we went on to the NFC West, Travis Benjamin. He signed with the Chargers during the offseason. One-year wonder with the Browns, even with Josh McCown and Johnny Manziel throwing him the ball. Um, he got a four-year, $24 million contract. He's right now in the 12th round uh, of drafts. Vincent Jackson, Brashard Perriman, Mike Wallace are getting taken around. Come on. Travis Benjamin's got to be higher than those guys, right? I think he's, yeah, that, that's an ugly, ugly list that you just laid out there. I mean, aside from Vincent Jackson, I'm not sure how many shares of, of either of those other guys I'm going to be having. So Benjamin does have the upside there. How do you think he fits into that offense? Because, you know, I feel like you have 
you're running three of the same sort of smaller, uh, quick but not vertical threat type guys. I mean, Benjamin might have been uh, the best deep threat that the Browns had last year, other than than uh, their tight end. But I mean, that uh, that the way that that receiving core is constructed to me just comes off a little bit funny. I don't know what what do you think about so, it? So Philip Rivers is consistently one of the top five throwing quarterbacks in the NFL, like yardage wise, maybe not touchdown wise, maybe not interception wise, definitely in stinky face looking to his receiver wise, but Indeed. also in passing yards. He just chucks the ball, and that's really what San Diego is based off of. A lot of that goes to our boy Danny Woodhead, but. I think that there is certainly room for a receiver like Travis Benjamin to succeed, and he should not be in 12th round. Like, let's, get, let's get out of the way. That being said, I don't know if the Chargers know yet where they want to put him. They have Stevie Johnson. They lost Malcolm Floyd, thankfully. That's kind of what I'd say. Uh, Just put retirement. him out to pasture more. Like, like God, right? how is he still playing? Anyway, um, I don't know if they want him on the outside or slot yet. And frankly, as a fantasy guy, I don't know which one they I want him out yet. On. Like, I think that there's... He could take the top off the defense, and I know Phillip's going to look his way at least once or twice. Mm-hmm. But I also know that as a PPR kind of guy, Travis would probably succeed in the slot role and let Stevie just do his own thing on the side. And right. I don't know. Like, I, I don't really care for Stevie, clearly. Um, but I think that Travis, Mendri- Travis Benjamin really has some value. He's actually a reasonable contract, all things considering, for number two receiver. Mm-hmm. And to me, I, I think this is this is a steal for a receiver because you know you know he's in a high-octane offense, and he's going to get looks. He might not always convert, but he's going to get looks. Yeah, you're starting You're starting to make me feel some type of way about the Chargers now. I'm starting to reconsider some things. It's because I'm the Chargers beat writer. I feel like I almost have to. <laughs> Just <laughs> putting the gavel down. Yeah. All right, well, gavel time. Moving over NFC West, we got a bunch of players for the Super Bowl. We don't have as many players for fantasy purposes. True. We broke down David Johnson for the Cardinals. We don't really need to go over that too much. Um they shipped in Chandler Jones by way of New England. They shipped in your boy, not my boy. I can't really say his name. Robert Kimdichke. Robert Kimdichke. There we go. See, I just add a little bit at the end to spice it up. For Saturday. Me. Yeah. Um, so they got a great pass rush going on. We already know they have Carson Palmer, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. And they have a trio of receivers that is pretty good, but I can't make heads or tails on what to do fantasy-wise. How do you feel about Larry, Malcolm, not Malcolm, Michael, Sorry, got all caught up in the Floyds. <laughs> <laughs> and then John Brown. I feel like when given the choice of the three, if they're all available in the draft, uh, you know, at, at a similar time, uh, I know they get dra- – the, the cluster is different now. I think Fitz is well down the board compared to the other guys. But I see myself generally targeting John Brown because of because of how – you know, it's another question of roster construction – in the sense where you get, you want to get a receiver that you can rely on for catches, and I felt like I could do that with Tate and Brown. So I wanted a guy that's just explosive as hell, and I, I think John Brown is pretty much the epitome of that right now. I mean that that boy is just going to toast you. I mean he's just, I mean he's awesome. I'm just such a huge fan of his. So I tend to go for him just because he doesn't need eight, ten catches to be productive if he gets four it's probably going to be like for he could very well be pushing for 100 on just four catches alone in a standard league i think john brown's the way to go i'm vehemently shaking my head over here as you're talking about him because i really like him too just in the not so industry league that i was in john brown uh fourth round michael floyd fifth round larry fitzgerald fifth round so 
clearly we we like the Cardinals receivers, but we don't know which one. I think one of them breaks out, whether it's Fitzgerald thinks he's on roids and goes crazy, <laughs> or if Brown John Brown becomes the guy that we all know he can be, despite despite his name being like the most nondescript thing ever. Right. Um, I I think that Michael Floyd can be a touchdown whore uh, in a good way. You know, love you, Michael. Uh, <laughs> but I just. I don't know which one, and that's what freaks me out the most is I don't know who to take. You know what, but at the same time, and I know that David Johnson adds a whole other element, like they have a very legitimate run game. They have the run game that we were hoping for for so long with Andre Allen. R.I.P. Andre. (laughs) See ya. But but now, I mean, it really does feel like you're not really scared of the tight end options vulturing. So, I mean, really – all three of these guys are going to put up some serious numbers. Uh, the only guy you're really like worried about, uh, maybe like vulturing in or something, would, would be JJ Nelson, I suppose. But I mean, he's like a way down there. Like a, that's a that's a lottery ticket type of pick. Yeah, I'm fine with taking all three. I wouldn't have taken them all around the fifth round like the not so industry league did. Um, but I like each one of them depending on where you're at situational wise. I think if I was forced gunpoint kind of thing to pick who I don't like out of them, it would be Fitzgerald. Yeah, just age. Age, you know? yeah. And, you know, there's at some point he has to stop being awesome. It right? felt like last year, like that game against the Packers, I'm sorry, uh, was sort of like it felt <laughs> last like. Hurrah. Yep, it was like it was almost like he was relit, recapturing that 60 yard touchdown in the Super Bowl against the Steelers. Like he went full on just Larry Fitzgerald version of beast mode. Uh, but, you know, you wonder how much he put his foot on the gas and now the, the, the tank is empty. You bring up the Packers now. I'm just I'm done talking about this. We're, no more Cardinals. We're going on to the next thing. Oh, your next favorite team. We're not doing this at all. No more. Yeah. Next favorite team. Seahawks. Um, you know, they they had a little bit of an interesting offseason. They lost Marshawn Lynch to, to retirement slash I'm going to make money selling my hats somewhere else. Yep. Um, they drafted two running backs that I liked both. So now I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. I know. I like Thomas Rawls also as well. But here's the thing. They have an offensive line. And I say offensive being like that's offensive to what I am watching in True. the game of football. Like it's awful. They were pitiful last year. They might have improved a little bit like without going through many of the names. But I guarantee you could not name – three of the guys on their team if you weren't a Seahawks fan. So to me, it makes it up two concerns. What's Russell Wilson going to do uh, as the quarterback for the Seahawks? Where do you think he's going to fit in? And then how do you think the running game is going to work? Uh, I think Russell Wilson's the perfect quarterback to have if your line sucks. <laughs> like the best one because he he's going to be looking down feel like he, he's not completely betraying his offensive line by moving around. Like he's always looking – to make plays downfield he's not he's not leaving the pocket necessarily to run every single time and god uh his his december uh maybe even starting in november i mean he was just so on fire he was everything that you kind of hoped that he could be as a passer down the stretch and you know obviously doug baldwin was a big beneficiary of that we'll get to him but uh yeah so i don't really mind wilson having a crappy line because he he's still a young guy he can still make people miss and move around so i'm not su- super worried about him you do worry about that offensive line when it comes to the run game though uh and then with rawls you know he's coming off that tough ankle injury so he the key for him is going to be making people really all of these backs is can you make people miss in the backfield because there's going to be penetration going on uh phrasing but, but i knew what you meant <laughs> but you know so there's going to be there's going to be a, a premium put on being able to to kind of 
work with the space that you're given. So with that, you know, Rawls is a guy that I, that I like, but I don't love. I think Procise is a guy that that's going to fit in nicely, almost like a almost like a uh, DeAndre Washington type of compliment because Procise used to be a receiver at Notre Dame okay. uh, before he converted to running back uh, this past year after like all these injuries that happened to them against Texas. Uh, and Procise had an amazing year. He's a little bit injury-prone himself, though. I mean, mm. I think people tend to forget that when they, they bring up Rawls and they say Procise – but then they they don't uh, you know like mention like how banged up he was throughout the season last year. Uh, he was still able to produce at an amazing clip with that. But you know uh, he's so he, I like him as far as the pass catching options. I, I don't think Alex Collins sees much of the field this year though. So I gave you a loaded question. I'll try to come back with it. I'll be honest with you. I have Russell Wilson in my dynasty league. I love Russell ton tons tons and tons. Um, He's the third quarterback being taken right now in ESPN standard drafts. Mm-hmm. So that means like third round, mid-third round, like beginning of fourth round. That is far too high for a guy that's offensive line is terrible. I really think Russell takes a step up. I, I do, but I don't think he takes a step up enough where he's above a guy like Andrew Luck, a guy like Ben Roethlisberger. Those, I mean, those, that's preposterous to me. Um, and I love it. Like, woo, go Russell. I'm glad yeah. you got to that point. No way he gets that high. And as far as those running backs go, I told you I'm huge on Rawls. I think he's going to be really good as long as he gets a chance to succeed. I'm afraid that because he was an undrafted pick, they're just going to be like, yeah, you know, whatever. We got these guys that we already took. I, I felt like he proved what, like when he was on the field last year. I thought like he, you know, he earned himself a shot. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, I, I so to me that's like where I'm worried about uh, Russell Wilson and and Rawls for that matter. One guy that I'm not worried about, I loved before he came in, Tyler the Rocket Locket. Oh, he yeah. was terrific as far as the return game goes, and a bit of an explosive factor. Seahawks have not really had that in the receiving game. Sorry, Golden Tate. Sorry, Doug Baldwin. True. Do you think that Tyler Lockett is going to take uh, a step above what he did last year? I mean, he's being taken in the tenth round right now. I think God, I think I see that ADP rising still. I mean, I think it's the the Lockett hype. I mean, we're we're like in the middle of it right now, but by by the time that everyone's drafting in late August, it's going to be. I think it's going to be freaking out of control, but I think it's incredibly warranted. I think, you know, you got a guy in Tyler Lockett that super talented guy opted to play his four years of college football in Manhattan, Kansas. That shows he loves the game of football, first of all. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, fair. But but moving, I mean, really what you look at what he did on the field. I mean, from from the Seahawks, I think it was maybe their first or second preseason game. I think it was one of his first touches, runs a punt back for, for a touchdown. Like I mean, the guy just has this his vision and the ability to to uh, see it to fruition like he'll see a hole that no one else sees and then bam he's through it I mean he's just unbelievable in, ter- in terms of a special teams talent and he's so crisp on his routes he's got really solid hands uh, and it, you know I think he proved to be a, an integral part of this offense so I think he takes an even bigger step forward this year so I pretty much anywhere for maybe from like the seventh seventh round and then later I, I could see you justifying a Tyler Lockett pick, honestly. So here's what I'm learning. We like Travis Benjamin for where he's at, and we like Tyler Lockett because I'm all on board as well. I think Tyler's going to be great. I'm a little concerned, and it's, it's no fault of his own, but he's so good at special teams that it might be best for the Seahawks and not fantasy owners to have him focus more on that on the punt return, kick return game, and not get him as involved in the receiving place yet. I mean, I think there's time for that to happen, but maybe it's not now. They already have Doug Baldwin, who got like at least 64 touchdowns 
last year. I know he yep. only, only had 14. Rough estimate, yeah. yeah. Uh, Paul Richardson, who kind of is the same uh, Tyler Lockett, only not on steroids, literally, because he's so freaking he, tiny. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, malnourished. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't want to make a bad joke, but I'm definitely thinking of a few right now. So <laughs> I, I just think that maybe they don't end up using Lockett because he's so good on special teams. But the guy's a talent that he's going to find the field. And I think he adds a different dimension to the Seahawks offense that maybe they lose when they don't have a rough and tumble of Marshawn Lynch. They can do a little more explosive stuff. That's how I think. Yeah, and you, you definitely saw that kind of come out to, you know, and saw it work in real life, not just in theory. Those last six weeks when, when Russell Wilson was probably like maybe the best player in fantasy period, like, you know, towards the end of the season, yep. just all like what was his straight he had like three straight games with four touchdowns or something insane like that I mean he was just on fire and that was with Lynch gone and then obviously Rawls went down so they had to like downshift again at running back uh so I think they're going to try to have a bit more of a uh balanced off balanced offense in the sense that they're they're not going to completely abandon the run game like they did down the stretch and completely let Wilson run wild but at the same time, I still think they're going to be throwing the ball a lot, and I think it's going to be a very high-scoring offense. Let's move on to the next team. Uh, I'm going to have a real tough time correcting myself on this. The Los Angeles Rams, no longer St. Louis, Los Angeles. Probably a good thing for Los Angeles, probably not a good thing for St. Louis. Fair. That's not our place to discuss. Them. <laughs> but uh, they had a huge move uh, during the offseason. They pulled a Kevin Costner from draft day. Uh, Browns movie, yeah. There you go. Did uh, you did you go and see that? I did not go and see it. I I had somebody rent it for me because so I was you, not going to pay for that. You did see it though. I did see it, and that's <laughs> why I can make that joke because they did a Kevin Costner move and <laughs> traded the farm and the cattle and the silo and the truck. Uh, I mean everything. I have no more farm things I can use, and I should because I'm from Wisconsin. But I mean they traded <laughs> everything to get Jared Goff, and I don't even think he was the best quarterback there. I am much more of a Wentz fan than a Goff fan. I, I'm i scared. Uh, I'm worried. Mm-hmm. I, I like the Rams. I love Todd Gurley. I don't like Jared Goff. Yeah, and you know, I, th- I think uh, he's one of these guys where I thought he was the best quarterback in this draft for, just from a pure stand in the pocket, make a decision, and then, uh, you know, e- execute on it. But you know he's going to be thrown into this whole ordeal and that, I don't know if I'm completely sold on their offensive line uh being able to pass block for him and then you really have a hard time falling in love with what he has at his disposable that at his disposal that's not Todd Gurley I, mean, I think that's a generous thing is saying I really don't want to fall in love like I was going to describe them as bleh like the yeah kind of that I kind mean, of sound like <laughs> <laughs> the, the one where your <laughs> stomach's kind of upset. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> that, I mean, Kenny Britt, Tavon Austin, Brian Quick, and Farrell Cooper probably is the most potential out of that group. Like, yeah. And, like, Farrell Cooper, like, ceiling-wise is like a poor man's Tavon Austin. Woo! Yay! <laughs> yeah. So get psyched for that, L.A. Uh-huh. <laughs> so pretty much outside, outside, of, outside of those guys, I mean, we got Todd Gurley. What do we want to say about him? I mean, uh, what hasn't been said about him already? I mean, like, I think he is definitely in the conversation for the number one overall pick. I wouldn't blame you for going receiver. You took Brown in the industry draft. Mm-hmm. I think Gurley ended up going number one uh, for our not-so-industry draft. He went number one for ours as well. Okay. Look, I, I don't blame anyone for taking him there. Um, I, he's terrific. I'm more concerned where you think he would go keeper dynasty value. Is is he, like, far and away the number one pick? We still have, like, the Antonio Browns and a few of those other players like Odell. Would you take Todd Gurley number one overall if you're starting a keeper dynasty league today? 
And is it a PPR format or? I'm going to say no because our listeners don't like PPR. All right. Well, I'm going to go. With, I'm going to say yeah because I mean you're you're going to have at least four more years of like awesome, awesome production out of Todd Gurley. I mean, last year people forget that he wasn't even that great down the stretch because you know he he kind of wore down, hit the rookie wall. Then you also consider that they eased him into action because he was coming off the torn ACL. I mean, now he's now he's had a full NFL offseason to to work and get himself right. Uh, he knows he's the man now, and I, I think that he's primed for an even bigger year, and I think he's going to be able to produce in all 16 weeks. It's not going to be one of those things where if you look at how it's distributed, uh, you know, he had a handful of huge games that kind of buoyed some some not-so-great games there towards the end of the end of the season. So I think Gur- Gurley just has everything that you could want in a running back and I think uh, with that, you know, best best running back in the league by the by the time he's in the second year of his career, I think that screams number one. So I'll argue that statement. Um, I would rather have Odell number one first off, just because I think that Odell is going to be the figure for a long time. And as a receiver, it's a lot easier to get looks, to get the catches, to get the touchdowns than maybe a running back that's behind, which you admitted was not a great offensive line and a quarterback that we don't know yet if he's actually that great or not. Sure. So to me, Odell's there, but Todd's right up there. I'll, I would rather have Le'Veon Bell. And I say this because I think he's already getting the contract for the Steelers. Um, his deal is like up after the end of this year, but they've right. already started negotiating. So to me, he's locked down with the Steelers for another five years. We know that they have a great passing attack. We know that they can run when Le'Veon's healthy. And nowadays, everyone has an ACL injury. Like my grandma has an ACL injury. <laughs> not really. Hope she doesn't. But I'm, I'm saying like <laughs> we can we can move past that. That's not a big deal. So Todd's and Le'Veon's not a big worry for me. I would rather have Le'Veon and Odell. But if Todd's not in your top three, then I don't know what you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, uh, we do kind of have that luxury right now in the league where we Gurley and Bell. I mean, that's that's a solid of a one-two, uh, you know, kind of face of the running back position that we that we've seen in a little while, and it's good to see because you know for for a while there is like the running back is dead. Yeah, doesn't exist. Yeah, and now you look at it and I mean even the NFC West in its general has David Johnson, it has Thomas Rawls, it has Todd Gurley. Those are three backs that I like. I think are definitely have a chance to be star players in this league and it's good to see a revival of the running back position 100 percent agree all right last but not least uh we have the i'm gonna just call on this i put it on here as a joke but the pitiful niners like i they're not even san francisco they're the pitiful niners to yeah me. i'm upset that we have to talk about this i, I like <laughs> they legitimately could be the worst team in the nfl this year and that's not really me going out of bounds and saying no. that i don't think like i just I don't like their offense. I, I I loved Carlos Hyde coming into it, but geez, what is he supposed to do? He might have Blaine Gabbert quarterback. That's a scary thing. I don't care how good he looked last year. That's Blaine Gabbert starting quarterback is a scary thing. And if that's not scary, then a whiny Colin Kaepernick who could do well in a Chip Kelly offense, that's scary too. Yeah, I mean, I think that we we've reached this point with the Chip Kelly offense discourse and with the with the sort of dual threat component uh type of quarterback that that Kaepernick is where it's like oh this makes so much sense it's just going to be like a college offense it's going to score 60 points a game there we go easy money it's just it seems like defensive coordinators like it it rattled them a bit at first I know that like you know Kaepernick uh with that sort of read option offense uh took my Ravens to the to the brink to the goal line (laughs) it was Uh, just because the blackout that's why I agree with that and you know I I fully believe that (laughs) but 
you know, I I don't, I'm not sold that it's going to really shake things up and really scare defensive coordinators. It's like, okay, they're going to run, they're going to be running this type of stuff. Okay. Uh, page five. Okay. Now we know, we know what to do with this. So I, I just don't think that even best case scenario, that this is going to be a top 25 offense. Unless Colin Kaepernick is playing against Eric Walden every single game of the regular season, like what he did to the Packers in the playoffs, and I still hate Colin for it. <laughs> sure. Unless he's playing Eric Walden every single game, I don't think that they're going to be very successful, which means Colin's not going to be successful, which means Carlos is not going to be successful, right. broken foot or not. And I don't think anyone else on their team is going to do that well for fantasy purposes or just like in regular season action. I, I don't like Torrey Smith. He's being taken in the 13th round. That's kind of right around where that Travis Benjamin, Mike Wallace, Brashard Perriman range is. That, that's like a dead zone kind of thing. Right. I'm not touching Torrey Smith. People in the not-so-industry draft were like, like, ooh, that's a steal. That, yeah, he, ooh. same. And I'm like, what? Why? Yeah, he's never been that guy. He's His big trait has always been that he's going to burn you downfield and you just like chuck it to him and like once once every five or six times you do that he's going to like score a touchdown or get an interference call hashtag ravens god jeez but oh boy but um smith isn't this isn't this sort of like a a mate i mean i i see his instagram videos of him working on his footwork and and all this and that maybe maybe getting uh getting ready for more of a different route tree this time instead of just running the vert but at the same time, I just I don't like who's going to be throwing it to him, and I just don't like his fit within that offense at all. I know that, like you said, a lot of people are getting really hyped on Torrey Smith and you know saying, that, oh, he's a steal of the third in the thirteenth. But I just don't think he has that that sort of uh, go over the middle consistently, get the ball to him within five yards of the line of scrimmage, let him go. Like you need to let him get up to speed and let him burn. And you're a Ravens fan, so like you've seen Torrey Smith grow up. I've just seen the Torrey Smith that got a huge contract from the Niners and did nothing. I, I don't... Like, you can do worse, I'll be honest. You can do worse than a guy that's going to be the number one option in an offense that, you know, now passing league. Like, you can do worse than Torrey Smith, but I'm not in love with a pick in that round. That's not... We had talked about two receivers previously, Lockett and Benjamin. I would be much jacked, much more jacked than right. to get Smith. Like, that's not a big deal to me. I know the other guy they have across is Quentin Patton, and like, mm-hmm. ooh, that's yeah, not that's good either. Ugly. Chip Kelly can do a lot of things, but this would be a pretty darn good miracle working if he got this to be a very good offense, even the league average offense. Yeah, I think it, league average would be would be a best case scenario type deal. Coach for, of the year, offense. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, crown him now if if that if that's really what how it turns out. So by week eight, we're gonna be talking about how Chip Kelly should be in the. We'll just Coach be re- of the year. replaying this podcast. I don't mind being wrong. I just don't <laughs> want to be wrong about Tory Smith. Fair enough, fair enough. I like it. I like it. It's bold. Now, we have Bruce Ellington on the docket. I don't care about Bruce. I'll be honest. Sorry, Bruce, uh, if you're listening. Friend of the podcast? Question mark. Uh, but now, he's the third option on the 49ers receiving core. He was drafted pretty high. South Carolina boy? Yes. Whew, yep. I do know a little bit of college football. There you go. Um, how do you feel like he's going to do in the Blaine Gabbert, Colin Kaepernick offense? Well, I think he's a, he's a bit of like this mound of clay that I think uh, <laughs> that's that, not a good way to start. Listen to me. And, and Chip Kelly is an eccentric sculptor. Now I'm saying? just picturing that movie. Is it the ghost oh, where they're geez, doing yeah, like, the, the Patrick clay? Swayze and Demi yeah, Moore? Yeah. That's all. That's right. Chip is doing that right now. <laughs> with Bruce with Bruce. <laughs> You're killing me here, man. I'm, just, I'm trying to wrap it up, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Bruce Ellington's just like this, this hyper athletic guy that is, he is very uh, bluntly put. He's done nothing to this point in his career, but he has the athletic tool set 
to where I think he Chip Kelly might find some interesting things for him to be doing. Um, so I, I think that maybe I took him as like my last round flyer, I think, or maybe I took Johnny Manziel as my last round flyer. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> but All but, right. I'm judging you, but only... Only a little bit. <laughs> Fair enough, but um, yeah, it's hard to def- hard to defend Johnny at this point. But uh, yeah, Bruce Ellington's this guy that I think you know with Bolden gone, he's going to be the third receiver in an offense that should be running a lot of three receiver sets. Uh, and I think he has the most. If you if you do get him the ball, if you like you know run a bubble screen type of deal, like he has that kind of shake that you like to see from that kind of receiver. So I think he's he's a guy that can uh, rack up some catches and actually you know make some plays for you. So. I actually don't hate him. I hate him the least of of all of the Niners options. But you that's know, what I'm, I want on my graveyard when I die. Joe Bartle. <laughs> they hated him the least. <laughs> uh, I, I understand. I mean, like as a late round flyer, that's not a big deal to me. But I'm I just don't like that. Does not scream fantasy gold to me. Bruce Ellington in the last round. Fair enough. All right. Well, that does it for the Wednesday Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be doing these every week now until, well, the end of time, it feels like. Uh, John, I'm excited to do this with you. We had a blast. Got to do some clay references and, you know, (laughs) other weird things. But, you know, this is going to be a great time. I'm excited to do this. Me too, man. I'm pumped. So uh, we'll be back at it uh, next Wednesday, and then we'll have another one out here uh, on Thursday. Have a good one, guys. Pace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores.